Thanks for listening to Victory's podcast today. Connecting people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus is what we're all about. For more resources or to reach out to us, go to victorychristian.church. Are you ready for the Bible? Very good. I want to open up this morning with Ephesians 3 and 20, which says this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power. Whose power? His power. That is at work within us. Do you all catch that? His power that is at work within us. Let's take a moment and let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for the opportunity to worship you this morning. The opportunity, Lord, to declare our love and our devotion to you. God. You are worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship, so worthy of our time and worthy of our lives. And we declare that we love you. Right now, Lord, we open up our hearts to hear from your word and uh, let your Holy Spirit speak to every single individual in the room. Lord, as the word is spoken today, we just trust your ability, God, to speak to us. We trust you as a shepherd to lead us. God, we trust you and we trust your word today. And Lord, I pray for the empowerment, the leading of your spirit, God, to share what's in your heart today. We love you and we worship you in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, About three weeks ago, I shared a word with you called a Jonathan spirit. And um, it was two different stories. And I'm going to share with you real briefly what that message was about. You can go back a few weeks ago and listen to the podcast or watch it on Facebook or YouTube. And... um, but it was called the Jonathan Spirit, and I want to build off of that today. In that message, I shared two stories. I shared an Old Testament story that was about Jonathan and his armor bearer, and they had this attitude of, let's just see what God would do. Very optimistic, faith-filled attitude, and the Philistines, their enemy, had been infiltrating the land, and Jonathan and his armor bearer were willing to be part of the solution. They were a team, and they believed God, and the Lord used them to destroy this enemy outpost, and then the Lord ended up sending a panic throughout the entire Philistine army, and uh, it was a great victory for God's people. And again, they just had this, hey, let's just see what God will do kind of attitude. Then we move forward to a New Testament story about Jesus in his hometown in Mark chapter 6. And it says this very fascinating thing. It says that Jesus could not do any miracles. You don't expect to read that in the Bible, do you? That he couldn't do any miracles there, just heal a few sick people. So Jesus on a bad day is just healing sick people. And it says that Jesus himself was amazed at their lack of faith. And again, he's in his hometown. They just could not see Jesus any differently than they'd known him growing up. They couldn't see Jesus any differently than the natural Jesus that they had known. And, you know, we we talked about that phrase, familiarity breeds contempt, right? Sometimes we can be so familiar with each other that we're just kind of putting up with each other. That doesn't sound scriptural, does it? That's not love your brother, love your neighbor, right? But familiarity can also breed a lack of faith, where we just are kind of casual and just 
don't expect much and you just kind of go through the motions and where it feels more like religion than a faith, more like religion than a relationship with Jesus, more like religion than a, a, a living faith that believes that our God can do things in the now. And familiarity, it shouldn't create a lack of faith. It should create safety among us, right? It should create an atmosphere where we love and trust one another and there's safety, and, but there's still no limits to what our God can do. And then I, I transitioned in that service and I talked about 1 Corinthians 12 and uh, briefly about how the gifts of the Holy Spirit are in us, amen? That he uses his people, his church for works of miracles and for healing and, and for all kind of manner of, of supernatural activity. He likes to use his people. The Holy Spirit is in the house. The Holy Spirit is in us. The gifts are in us and God wants to work through us, this exceeding uh, exceeding power, he wants to work through his people. Amen? And I want to build off of that today. I, I just felt compelled to like dig a little deeper in, into that because, um, you know, the Lord is counting on us because we are his expression in the earth. Amen? And he wants us to be part of what he's doing. And we want to be part of what he's doing. Amen? And so today's story uh, in Scripture is going to come out of Judges chapter 6. Judges is this interesting book in the Old Testament. It's a book of up and ups and downs. It's before they had any kings. And um, it's like watching a roller coaster, this, this Scripture. Because what would happen is the people would go into sin, and, and uh, they would decline, and oppressors would come in, and then the people would get so fed up with it, they would cry out to God for help, and God would help them, and they would repent of their sin, and they would come out of it, and then they would have a time, and they would go down again. Does that sound like any of our lives sometimes? That's what you're supposed to, when you read Judges, you're supposed to go, oh, it's not just them. It's me, right? Uh, and that's a good way to read scriptures. When you see the weaknesses in people, not just go, oh, those silly people. No, we are the silly people, Right? So God would send judges throughout this book. He sent Samson, and he sent Deborah, and he sent people like Gideon to bring deliverance. In Judges chapter 6, the oppressor uh, is this, this group called the Midianites uh, from Midian. And, and um, I want you to listen with me as I read Judges starting in chapter 6, verse 1. Listen to the oppression that the people are under. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites pre prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain cliffs, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the, the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents their like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land and ravaged it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. You get this sense of just great oppression that these Israelites are, 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 are uh, living under. 
to where they can't even live in their normal homes. They're having to find caves and, and make places just to hide their lives. And for seven years, it was like their lives could not move forward. And the thing about time is like when, when you hit seven years of your lives not uh, moving forward, you start to lose some hope that things are going to change, right? Their lives stop, keep, keep getting killed. Crops are constantly being ruined. Like they can't literally like take root because they keep being oppressed. And I'm sure they felt, you know, quite outnumbered and overpowered. Finally, after seven years, they cried out to the Lord for help. I kind of wonder when they were crying out for help, what they really expected God to do. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we'd be like, God, help me. But maybe, maybe we're not like really thinking about like, so what are we specifically asking for? right? Like, what was their expectation? Were they really expecting God to fully deliver them as they prayed? Or was that just kind of like a dream? Or maybe they just hoped for a little bit of relief or that their situation would get a little bit better because it felt so hopeless. But you see, these were a people that were living under a promise because these were God's people that he had pulled out, that he was working with, and they were being chastened for their sin because they had turned their back on God. But the promise that God had made to Abraham was still on them. You follow me? Like there was a promise over these people because their ancestor was Abraham, Father Abraham, right? And God had made a promise to Abraham of a people. It was these people. God had made a promise of a land, which was the land that they were in in Canaan. And God had made a promise for them for a seed, and that seed was Jesus, and he hadn't come yet, right? And so they, were, they had promise on them, but not promise that they had experienced. Regardless of their expectations, they were people of promise. And it makes me wonder, makes us think, what are God's promises over you and me, right? Does God promise healing? It's in Scripture. Does God promise peace of mind? It's in Scripture. Does God promise strength? It's in Scripture. Does God promise provision? Like there are these promises. I, I want us to see our, ourselves as the same people. We are people that are living under a promise. If you are call, calling on Jesus' name and you, you know him as your Savior, you are people of promise. They might not be promised that you are experiencing, but it is promised that you live under. Does that make sense to you? Makes us go, hmm, maybe I should expect more, or maybe I should ask more, or maybe I should pray differently, right? I think sometimes we expect less. I think because of our own insecurities, sometimes our own experiences, our own disappointments, we expect less. And I think when we expect less, a lot of times it's because we don't remember who we really are. I love 1 Peter 2.9. I don't know how many times I read 1 Peter 2.9 and 10 in a year, but I use it a lot. I'm not going to apologize. It's in Scripture. I love this Scripture. I think it should be an anthem for us. It says, but you, you know who that's talking to? You and me. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If you have made that commitment to follow Christ, if you have made that commitment to put your life in his hands and to give your allegiance to Jesus and to turn away from a life that is led by yourself or idols or other things and said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to grow in you and know what it is to follow you, then you live under this promise, amen, and under this identity. But there are times when what we're walking through doesn't seem to mirror who we are. So here's God's people, oppressed by the Midianites and and other nations as well. And God's people are crying out to the Lord, so the Lord responds. Let's go to verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. In my mind, when the video plays, Gideon goes. Those of you listening, I'm turning and looking for, who's he talking to? Verse 13, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? They said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. I wonder if the angel of the Lord's wondering if he got the wrong guy. But isn't that, isn't that a great representation of sometimes what's in our hearts? Question after question after question, right? If the Lord's with us, why has all this happened? Well, in Scripture, it's really clear that the people had sinned and walked away from the Lord, and so they had fallen under the oppression of the Midianites. And this is Judges chapter 6. They had already been on this roller coaster. The why is not actually a question. But here's Gideon asking, why has this happened to me? Where are all the wonders our ancestors have told us about? Isn't that interesting? Other people have seen miracles. I haven't seen the miracle, right? And then he says, but now the Lord has abandoned us. What's fascinating to me is that he has all of these questions. I don't know about you, but like if I were the Lord, I'd be like, all right, I'm going to find somebody else. Somebody with just a little better response when the angel of the Lord comes. But what's fascinating is that the, the Lord just like, just keeps on going. Like he doesn't address any of that. It's addressed in the scripture, but he doesn't reply He just continues to call Gideon to this place. What if if your questions are just the delay to obeying what God wants you to do? Right? Sometimes we want to adjudicate it all. We want to figure it all out. We want to triage and and like go through it. And we want to post-mortem everything. And sometimes God's just saying, move forward with me. Right? I don't think it's that God doesn't care about our questions. I don't think it's any of that. I think sometimes we make the questions our God. And we make them an idol. And I'm not moving forward until you tell me why this happened or why this didn't happen. I think sometimes the Lord's like, you know, just get over yourself. I'm calling you forward. Let's go. Amen? And in the story, it ends up working out really well when they just do that. The Lord turned to him after all of his questions. I love this. 
Jesus is, well, here's what happened, Gideon. Let me talk. I'm going to talk to you softly. And I'm going to, no, this is, what, this is what the Lord says. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? I got to tell you all, all that you need is a him that's sending you. You don't need anything else. You don't need a further degree. You don't need more information. All you need is a him authorizing you to go and do. Amen? Pardon me, Lord. <laughs> Gideon replied. I'm going to animate this a little bit just because I have an imagination. This is not an authorized uh, animation, okay? But this is what the scripture says. Uh, but, 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 how, but how can I save Israel? My, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Mm. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. What's interesting about the story is Gideon's posture when the angel of the Lord comes is he's in a wine press threshing wheat, which is not the ideal place to do to thresh uh, the wheat. But he did it because it's it's more out of sight, right? And so that he could try to do this. Really what you want is a big open space to do this. But they they were just figuring out how to get by under the oppression, right? When you're oppressed, when you're oppressed, sometimes you just figure out how to get by. Now, I'm going to talk to you today about the oppression of the Midianites that came against the Israelites. But see, there's real oppression that you and I face, which is an enemy that doesn't like you, doesn't like what you stand for, doesn't like your identity, and who wants to resist you and resist your family. And his goal is to kill, to steal, and destroy. It's a very simple mandate. He doesn't like you, and he's all about it. And there are times and moments in our lives and seasons in our lives where you feel that oppression, right? You feel sometimes that depression. You feel that hopelessness. You feel the resistance coming against you. And uh, those times are tough. And we can take postures that kind of get us through those times, right? But what's happening is in this interaction is the Lord is calling Gideon out of the posture that he took during oppression. And he's saying, I have a new posture for you. And the interaction between Gideon and the angel of the Lord is so interesting because the Lord says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord declared something over Gideon that Gideon could not see in himself. It was something that wasn't even realized yet, but God could see it in him. Do you see that? Sometimes you see God will call things forth from you that you don't realize that are, that are in there. And you're looking at the oppression. You're looking at the resistance. You're looking at the thing that's coming against you. And what God's saying is, you know what? We're going to overcome that, and I'm going to grow you in the midst of it. What we want oftentimes is we want the answer, not the growth. Right? I just want out. I just want it to be better. But God says, I want to make you stronger. Reminds me of the Maverick City. Get a little stronger. Um, wait, wait on the Lord. Great song. Go watch the video. Get a little stronger. So we wait on the Lord. I can't really do it. I don't have the swag or any of it. But uh, just go watch the video. Get a little stronger. Um, and he tells, he tells Elizabeth. <laughs> I got my wife on my mind now. That laugh. 
Anyhow, pardon me. He says, he says to Gideon, go in the strength that you have and save Israel. Am I not sending you? The strength that you already have. The, the wild thing is God will use you right where you are. And he'll equip you with what you don't have. And he will strengthen you along the way. One of the things that I, I really want us to, to catch in the scripture in, in, through this story is God wanted Gideon to be part of the solution. God didn't want to just be the answer. And in our lives, sometimes we're asking for an answer. And God's saying, I'm going to make you part of the solution. Get out of the wine press. Come on forth, you mighty warrior. And we're like, who, what? And, and that's in scriptures so that you can go, yeah, he felt that way too. But he still obeyed. He still took that step. He, he had all these questions, but he, he still took that step. And so he makes this comment about, you know, how can I save Israel? I am the least. My clan is the weakest. Like all these things say small, small, small. Gideon saw himself small. He didn't see himself as part of the solution. Gideon didn't anticipate being part of the answer himself, but God was calling him to be part of the solution as well. We think sometimes there's, there's nothing I can do. Sometimes we'll think I'm not qualified. We'll think I'm not spiritual enough, but God says, I'm going to move through you and I want you to participate in the miracle. I wanted to participate in the things that, that I'm doing. And God sees something in you that you don't see yourself. He sees where he's taking you. He sees what he's developing in you. He just needs you to cooperate with the work that he's doing. The Lord sees a mighty warrior in there. Do you see it? And the Lord says, I will work through the strength that you already have. The angel of the Lord, you know, answers some of Gideon's uh, concerns. And he says, listen, I will be with you. And you will strike down the Midianites, not, not leaving alone. You know, the only answer we ever need from the Lord is I'll be with you. I mean, really. Sometimes we're, we're wrapped up in a lot of questions. The, the only answer we need from him is that, and even better is that we are with God and we are cooperating with him. But the only thing we need to know is that he's in this thing. And then from there, it's just cooperating rather than resisting. Cooperating rather than letting the questions stand in front, right? Cooperating rather than just complaining, right? Sometimes uh, this happens, and I'm just, I'm, I'm just kind of saying it to you very straight. I'm, I'm not trying to be unkind in this. Sometimes the Lord brings an answer, and what we want to do is complain. And the Lord's saying, I'm bringing you an answer. I'm bringing you a solution, right? And cooperating rather than procrastinating, right? Because there are times where the moment passes by. God is moving, and we need to cooperate in the moment. And also, we've got to cooperate rather than doubt. Now, what happens in the story, and this is, this is a long story. It's a couple chapters long, and it's not one that, Instead of doing the entire story in a message, it would be very long or be very thin. There are certain parts I'm pulling out. So I'm going to tell you the whole story, but not preach the whole story. The Midianites and the Amalekites join forces, and they go into this valley of Jezreel. 
And it says that the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and he amassed an army. Y'all, he amassed an army of 32,000 people. That's intense, right? That's a long way from the wine press, right? And I want, what I want you to see is Gideon is now cooperating with the Lord. He's now doing what the Lord has put on his heart. The Lord's, the Spirit comes on him. He blows a trumpet. He's gathered all these people. But then he's going to do this thing with the fleece. And I think sometimes we tell the fleece part in the wrong part. He has already taken an act of faith by gathering an army, right? And a normal thing in the Old Testament to do is if you're going to go out and fight an enemy, you inquire of the Lord to see if you're going to win or if you should fight. And this was a normal process for them. And so he inquires of the, Lord, the angel of the Lord, and he says, listen, I'm going to put this fleece out, right? And uh, at tomorrow morning, if there's dew on it and not on the ground, then we're good, right? So he gets up in the morning, and sure enough, there's, fleece on, there's dew on the fleece and not on the ground. And I think maybe overnight Gideon thought, hmm, I want better odds. <laughs> I don't know, something. But he does the fleece thing again. And what's wild is the Lord does not rebuke him for it. He says, all right, um, Lord, uh, tomorrow, let the dew be on the ground and not on the fleece. Sure enough, what happens? The dew's on the ground and not the, not the uh, fleece. So now Gideon, is, he's got a, a greater confidence. Okay, this is the direction of the Lord. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I think that's good, a good lesson for us. Even when we have a mandate and a calling and a drawing from the Lord, we should keep praying through the plan as we go. Amen? Because sometimes what will happen is, the, the Lord will speak and then we'll make up the rest of the plan and go, where'd you go? And he goes, I don't know where you went, but you stopped inquiring of me, right? So he continues, so he inquires the Lord, he gets his answer. But then the Lord makes this decision. You got too many people. In, in verse, chapter seven, verse two, he says, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel will boast against me. My own strength has saved me. The Lord is ahead of it, and he goes, you know what? Um, right now, the way this is situated, uh, you guys are going to think you, you should just take credit for this. And the Lord's like, that's not going to work. If you haven't read this story, by the way, do, make this in your devotions uh, this week. Judges 6 and 7, okay? So the Lord tells Midian, all right, I want you to send everyone home who's trembling with fear. Gideon, in my mind's like, all right, everybody, listen up. <laughs> quiet, quiet, you know, 32,000. If you're trembling in fear or afraid, go home. 22,000 people turn around. And he's left with 10,000. I mean, I'm like, whoa, two-thirds of your people leave, right? But then the Lord says, yeah, it's still too many. Still too many. And so... The Lord says, I want you to take them to, uh, to get some water. And everyone who laps like a dog, send them home. Everyone who kneels down for their water, keep them. 9,400 people leave because they drank water wrong. So Gideon is left with 600. And the Amalekites and, and who is it? Uh, the Amalekites and the Midianites have joined forces in this valley. And he now has 600 people. You know, we, we don't need more resources. What we need is the Lord. 
we, we need his plan and we need his strategy. We are resource-driven people, right? Uh, we think very practically, I need this money to do that, and I need this time to do that, and I need this. But you know, when it comes to a God plan, all you need is God and the plan, right? You need his plan and his strategy. And so the Lord says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do more with less here. You're only going to have 600 people, but I want to show you what I can do for your people and show you what I can do to bring deliverance. And I, I think it's so important. I want to camp out here for just a moment. Sometimes we're like, I just don't have what I need. We need to get that out of our thinking. It's who you have, not what you have. Because we have a God who is creative and who is able. The key is we need to have our ears open and listening for his plan. Not making stuff up, but we need his plan and his direction because he can make the resources. If he can feed a few million people in the desert by putting manna on the ground every morning, he can take care of you and he can take care of me. Amen? So Gideon takes just 600 men. They each have a trumpet, they have a torch, and they have a jar. They divide into three groups, and they surround the camp. And, uh, and this was the plan in, in, in the, um, the middle of the night. Oh, I left a part out. I apologize. Before Gideon gets these men equipped with the torch, the jar, and the trumpet, the Lord tells Gideon to go down into the camp. So he sneaks down into that valley of Jezreel uh, in the middle of the night, and he's just kind of eavesdropping in there. And he overhears this conversation. And this man says, I had this dream last night. And his buddy's like, what was the dream? I had this dream that this barley loaf rolled down the hill and crushed my tent. And his buddy goes, well, that can only be Gideon. And, you know, and the Lord, and, and so fear strikes him and strikes the camp. They're all afraid of Gideon. I don't even know how they figured out who Gideon was. But God struck fear in the camp before anything ever happened. And God will strike fear in your enemy before he causes you to move out. You see, we forget that God is working both sides of it. Right? God tells you, I want you, this isn't your enemy. God says, I want you to go have that hard conversation with your coworker or with your boss or that kind of thing. And you go, I don't think that anything's going to change. I don't think anything's going to be different. How could it, I just know who they are. But what about God? What about God working in the heart of people? What about a God plan and a God strategy? I'm not calling your coworker or your boss your enemy. Um, they are your neighbor. Love them. Uh, so, so back to the torch, the trumpet, and the jar. So he has them surround the camp, and basically, uh, in, in concert with one another, they break these jars, and the, the torches are showing, and they start blowing these trumpets, and they start shouting. Well, in the minds of the people in the camp, they're thinking that thousands of people have surrounded them. And they go crazy, and they start killing each other, and then they run off, and it's a great victory. I'm like, God, you are so smart. This amazing victory with just 600 people and some obedience, right? But you see, who Gideon was, you know, in, in stories, and when we go to movies and things like, there's this character arc, right? There's this change that happens. You know, God created the character arc before movies created the character arc, right? He arcs our character. He transforms us into his likeness and image. And what God was doing was he wasn't just delivering a people, he was growing up a people. 
And I, I think for us, we need to be sure that we are not resisting the process. Sometimes we are praying, we're saying, God, do this thing. And then God says, now go do this. And we go, I don't, I don't like that plan. It's like, who's in charge here? That victory of just 600 men, it really reminds me of a scripture from that message a few weeks ago with Jonathan and, and his um, young armor bearer. In 1 Samuel 14, verse 6, it says this, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let us go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And that was the story of Gideon, whether by many or by few, our God was able to do something. Um, I don't know what you're praying for today, um, but I have a, I've got a question for you. Are you willing to participate in the solution? Amen? Now, it's funny, because a lot of times when I'm, when I'm sharing with people, uh, I didn't hear enough of a response, by the way, so I'm going to ask that again. Uh, I'm going to give you a second so that you can. A lot of times when I'm preaching something like that, I'll say, we try to meddle and do God's work for him. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying there are some times when God says, okay, here's what I want you to do, and you are going to participate in the solution that you have prayed for. God's going to do the heavy lifting, but your obedience and faithfulness are going to line up with what God is doing. Are you willing to be part of the solution? We got almost halfway there. You see, God is very interested in working through you by His Holy Spirit, empowering you through His Holy Spirit. And He wants us to be the hands and feet for the people around us. That's why He doesn't, he doesn't have a problem with you experiencing freedom. And this, He's all for you experiencing the be- what He has for you because He wants you to take the good news that Jesus Christ has come into this world to save sinners, of which I'm the very worst. He wants that message to be proliferated, and he wants it to happen through us. And I want to encourage you today, if maybe there is a struggle that's been going on for a while, to remember the promises you live under. Sometimes you can live under promises that you aren't experiencing, but it doesn't make them any less your promises, and you are still God's people, right? And, you know, it had been years for them that they'd lived under this oppression of the Midianites. But there came a moment and there came a day the people had cried out and God said, okay, I'm going to act. All right, arise, mighty warrior. And we're looking like this. Do you believe that God's promises can be true for you? That he has good planned for you? And so, see, sometimes that truth it layers over some of the underlying questions. It's not that the questions don't matter. It's not that that the experiences don't matter. But what matters most is what God's saying. You don't need numbers. You just need Him. You don't need more resources. You might need more resources, but those resources are going to come through Him. It's about the Him, who He is, in his provision, in his plan. Would you stand with me today? I, I just want us to pray to pray with each other for a moment here.
I really believe that this concept of participation is something that God wants to, to get deep in us as a people. There's a concept of we pray and we wait and we watch God work. Amen? Then there's these, these times where we pray and God comes to us and says, are you ready? Are you ready to participate? Are you ready to be a part of it? Are you ready for me to grow you, not just change the circumstance? And that is the part that grows us. And that brings a joy to our Father in heaven when we cooperate and when we grow like that. And so what I'm going to pray is that, God, will you show us the places we need to cooperate? One of my uh, favorite testimonies that, uh, you know, over the years has been, you know, Brenda has shared a testimony when she was in a, a very deep depression had gone on for a really long time. And the Lord spoke to her one day uh, when she was on her couch and, she, and he just said, get up. Which seemed like the hardest thing in the world to do in that moment. And that was God saying, all right, you're going to cooperate with me and we are going to break this thing. And maybe there's a struggle that's going on in your life and the cooperation, the participation, and then mixing your faith with God and saying, God, I believe you have something better. I want to pray especially for folks who have felt the pressure of the enemy against them. Pray for those who have felt depression settle against them and where your mind has been uh, confused. Father, we come. Pray with me. Father, we come in the mighty name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord God, that you are a deliverer. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are one God, who sees us and who says, I have something better. And so, Lord, today we bring our hearts to you and we recognize our own weakness. And many times, God, we can be like, uh, just like Gideon, but I'm the weakest and I don't feel strong enough. But Lord, we lay aside the excuses and we listen and we pay attention to you today. I pray for those, God, who are battling oppression, battling depression today. And Lord, we just lift up the name of Jesus. We say that our God has promised us peace. He has promised us peace that surpasses understanding, that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you send what we need for victory today. Lord, come, Holy Spirit. Come and grow us. Come and strengthen us. Father, for some of us, the need to just stand up and declare the word of the Lord. Stand up and declare the promises of our God. Stand up and declare who we know to be true. And Lord, our prayer, Lord God, is we need you, Lord God. Father, we need you with us and we want to join you in what you are doing. We trust you implicitly today. We believe you today, Lord God. And we just say, God, we want to find ourselves in you and trusting you today. And so, Lord, we declare that the yoke of depression, yoke of oppression, yokes of resistance be broken in the name of Jesus. And we declare today, Lord God, that, Lord, we will stand with you, Father, as your chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people chosen by God. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to follow you, God. And we thank you for who you've made us to be. And so, Father, some of the oppression that people have been used to for years in the name of Jesus obliterated. Depression that has cycled 
year, time after time, in the name of Jesus, take out the underpinning, Lord God, and may our peace and our joy be in you. Oh, God, we love you. We love you today. And Lord, today we agree with your word, what it says in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. We agree with who you say we are. And Lord, we agree, Lord, that you are making mighty warriors, Lord, that your Holy Spirit can work through and work in. And our heart's desire today is to cooperate and to participate and not resist the work that you are doing. Lord, we thank you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to connect with us or if you'd like to know how you can give, go to victorychristian.church.